I'm going to read the Bible for us. And you can see it in the inside of your sheet there, if you want to read along from the real Bible. Isaiah 2. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and he shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord, for you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east, and of fortune-tellers, like the Philistines, and they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. So man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of man shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up and, is shall, and it shall be brought low against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, and against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, and against all the uplifted hills, against every high tower, and against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, and against all the beautiful craft. And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day and the idols shall utterly pass away, and people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship, to the moles and to the bats to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs, the, the clefts of the cliffs, from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? When you 
you consider your future, what do you want to be? For most of us, when we're asked that question, some of you here are internally stunned. What <laughs> <laughs> the foggiest idea What do I want to be? Sharpening it may help you. In five years' time from today, where can you see yourself? What will you be? Some of you are still mentally stunned and don't know what you're going to answer that question. Some of you will think it's a little bit arrogant to be able to answer that question very quickly. For people who just jump in, I'm going to be a, and I'm going to be here doing this. Sounds a bit arrogant sometimes to be too confident. Some of you, well, you're thinking, I've worked this out ages ago. Uh, I've answered that two minutes ago. Come on, let's move on. And it's good to have the teachers and the nurses with us uh, today. Nick, maybe the teachers on reading week, perhaps, yes. Rachel's here, but I think we're going to Rachel. Uh, the rest are out um, working on how to, um, when they'll become a teacher. Some of us know what our futures are going to look like very easily. Others of us have no idea. Uh, or we sh we're sure, but we're just not sure what it, exactly what it's going to look like. Whatever you answer to that question is your vision. Do you have a vision? Well, what you will be, what you anticipate being, is your vision. You've ever been a part of an organisation, or even maybe a youth group, or, church, or even a uni Bible group. We have a vision. It's the thing that you want to be. The thing that you're not now, but the thing that you want to be. The thing that you're planning on becoming. And Isaiah, in this book, has a vision. It's his vision. It's a big vision we saw last week. It goes for 66 chapters. It's a very long vision. It's a big one. But it shows also and includes God's vision for the nations. And We've known about God's vision for the nations for some time before Isaiah, if you were with us two years ago. You would have seen, or you would remember, that we were in Genesis for a time. And God's vision for the nations was revealed way back in Genesis. Here's the Isaiah timeline. That's, our, that's Isaiah here. Uh, you can't see those words. That's okay. But way back in Abraham's time, in Genesis, God appears to Abraham. And God says about Abraham, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? This is just before it's about to destroy uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness <laughs> and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Abraham is to be the way that God will bless the nations. And then he has children, and he has and he has Isaac, and then Isaac has Jacob, and then Jacob, remember, has 12 children that become the nation of Israel. And Jacob, on his deathbed, or close to his deathbed, 
as he pronounces blessings or curses on his 12 children individually in Genesis 49, comes to Judah. And this amazing, out of the blue, from left field thing is said to Judah from Jacob his father. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down and crouched as a lion. And as a lion's, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. To this little group of people who will again end up in slavery in the city in Egypt where this is told. To this man Judah, he will command the obedience of the peoples. God's vision for the nations was laid out early on to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. As you come to Isaiah, many hundreds of years later, the door is flung open fully and you get a a grand vision, a great vision, a very clear vision into what this actually looks like. And so, you've got it there, you can see it. What is God's vision? Well, it's concerning Judah and Jerusalem in Isaiah 2. But it shall come to pass in the latter days, verse 2, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills, and the nations shall flow to it. The nations shall flow to it. Now, you've, you've had it read, and I'll, I'll get you to have a look at it by yourselves or with someone next to you if you like. What is God's vision for the nations? As the details are expressed a little bit more here. I'll give you 30 seconds to look over it. Those first uh, few verses, first four verses of uh, Isaiah 2. What's God's vision? Yep. Good. What else? 
established. There'll be what's established is the highest of the mountains. <laughs> Where God dwells. Where God dwells. Is that a vision for the nation? Well, in the end, they all come to that. They don't come there. Okay. So there's a drawing in of the nations to this mountain that is the highest of mountains. Yep. Anything else? Those nations will be God's word. Yeah. Yeah. Now here. The teaching of God, but the law of God. It's the same word, teaching and law. Anything else? God will judge between them. Yeah, God will judge between them. And what will be the result of that? The first year of That's right. Disputes are settled. Uh, it's a grand vision. This is a massive, grand, perplexing vision of God's plan, ultimate plan for the nations. It's majestic because it's promising worldwide peace. God himself will judge the disputes between the nations. The judgment here, by the way, is a good thing. It's actually a positive. It's not judgment for punishment, but it's the idea of um, settling disputes. It's the idea of what's the best decision, judgment. That's what you know. our politicians are meant to do. They're meant to judge what is the best thing to do with taxes, what is the best thing to do with opportunity. God will judge what is the best thing to do when disputes arise between nations. No longer will there be nations versus nations such that one nation is suspicious of another nation and what that nation is doing. And this nation is paranoid about this nation, and this nation is paranoid about that nation. No longer will that be the case. No longer will they go to war. No, God will settle the disputes between the nations. And there'll be peace. There'll be worldwide, lasting peace. And the nations, it will come about by the nations flowing into this city, this Jerusalem, this mountain. Notice that it's the type of peace that it is. It's, it's not a stalemate type peace that we do see in the world and throughout history. Did you know that North and South Korea, North Korea and South Korea, are technically at war? They were at war, a physical conflict in the 1950s. There was a, an armistice. There was a, what do you call those things? Uh, a ceasefire. But there's never been a peace agreement ever since. The place where they meet, even just recently, is on the border in the demilitarized zone where they're watching from each other uh, at clo from close range and suspicious of each other. But no one's, well they have five guns, uh, no one's re regained open hostility. Is that the sort of peace that's being talked about here? No, it's not that at all. It's not where one nation is going is paranoid about the other. It's not mad peace. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of mad in terms of international relationships. Mutually assured destruction. It's a real thing. And it maintain, has maintained peace between 
the United States of America and Russia for decades. In the 1980s, we learned about MAD, Mutually Assured Destruction, where each country knew that the other one had the capability of being able to totally destroy the other, which meant that it kept the peace. How's that for peace? In fact, one of the most, un I remember it well, one of the most destabling, unstable times throughout the 1980s was when the Americans, under Ronald Reagan, started to develop a defensive system, which was going to in uh, intercept intercontinental ballistic missiles with nuclear warheads uh, to be able to do that from space. That was the most unstable time of the 80s because mutually assured destruction was no longer assured. <coughs> that is not the peace that's being spoken about here. And the peace that's being spoken about here is the peace that people long for, the nations long for. To this day they long for it. We don't know how to bring it. <coughs> we think at times we know how to bring it, but we, we don't know how to bring it. How do we get to the situation where engineering ingenuity and the resources will see agriculture abound rather than weaponization abound? Friends, take note of this chapter, Isaiah 2. Underline it. Uh, take a photocopy of it and put it somewhere where you can get hold of it easily. Uh, we have a great message for the world, God's vision for the world. We are the unique Bible group. The Bible gives us God's vision for the world. It's not a vision of um, Christians taking over the world. It's not, a, it's not a vision of people being put under the thumb of some dictatorship somehow to bring about peace. It's, it's a message of people saying, let's go, let's go to the mountain of God and let's learn of his ways and let's do so such that there is peace. People are after a positive message and we have the most positive message that there is to commend the Bible to them. Please underscore it and make use of it. No doubt there are many questions will arise uh, from that, but you can work out how to deal with those. Um, but you can ask people. If you, want, if you want world peace, then come. Here's the instruction on how to do it. Come. Come and learn of, of God and learn of his ways. Help them work through it. But we also see God's goal for Jerusalem. Point two. Uh, what's God's goal for Jerusalem? I'll give you a moment, chat about that. Away you go. So verse 5, it says, The house of Jacob, all those walking in one Lord. Like the transition of the nation, and the house of Jacob. Okay, 
from the middle. Anyone want to shoot? Clash is, brother. You've got the word from out of Zion shall go the law. Yep. The word of the Lord will go out from Jerusalem. So there's a sense in which from the mountain from Jerusalem there will be the centerpiece and then everything will come out of it. So people not just go into it, then it starts coming out of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And the thing that goes with them, or the thing that they come to receive, as we've already seen, is the teaching. The teaching of God. Uh, the law of God. It's actually going to bring about this peace and, and, and grow and establish this peace. That's right. And also, Jerusalem, or the mountain of the house of the Lord, it, its role, not so much its role, but what it will be, it will become the highest of the mountains above all the other mountains. I think what's all that about? Is this like earthquakes and volcanoes <laughs> thing happening? Uh, I don't know exactly. Uh, mountains are, are <coughs> religious hotspots. Uh, is it because they're you know closest to the heavens, you know, closest to God? This is going to be the place that's closest to God. It's it's above everything else anyway. And nations will come to this mountain. Pictures are having to climb the mountain to get there, uh, but the nations will come to this mountain. But they're coming not because they've been imprisoned, captured by the nation of Judah, been led into enslavement following military defeat. No, the nations are encouraging each other to flock to Jerusalem. Come on, let's go and see Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem so that we can be taught and so that we can walk in the paths of the God of Jacob. Anything missing from this vision that you might expect to see happen? people coming from the nations to be taught by the God of Jerusalem, the God of Jacob. What else might you expect to see? Mention of God's son or an anointed one? A king, yeah. Yeah, there's no mention of that. There's also no mention of the nations going up to worship God, to bow down and worship, or to serve God. Yeah, you can look at other passages and see that that is the case. Uh, but here the focus is not so much on the peoples of the earth coming up to, to worship God and serve God, but rather it's the fact that this city will be a place where the nations will be served. The people come up not to... Sorry, Jerusalem is a place not to be served, but to serve the nations. And they're to serve the nations by walking in the way of the Lord and being a place where God will instruct the nations and so bring peace to the peoples of the nations. My friend, this is a very grand vision. Uh, it's perplexing because you think, how does this ever come about? How in this world can this ever come about? Is this just a vision into the future? A future that lays far beyond us at the moment, given the state of the world? Or no? When you go to the New Testament, 
the New Testament writers pick up on Isaiah 2 and other passages like it. <coughs> and they see that this is fulfilled now. Partially fulfilled now. Look here. Oop. In Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer of the Hebrews speaks about what is happening as he's speaking to Christians. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festival gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You'll need to take this chapter away and have a chew over it for yourself. But he's speaking about the church, the gathering of God's people, the assembly. That's what the word assembly is, church. It's the gathering of God's people from people of all nations who gather together under the word of God, who are learning to live by the word of God together as we live peaceably amongst each other, as we learn the ways of God, as we <coughs> devote ourselves to the teaching that Jesus has given us. And as we do so, we are the people who are walking in the ways of God and shine out to the rest of the nations. Say, come on in and join us. Now, we don't do this perfectly. We fail in many ways. But this is a vision for you and I now as God's people, as God's people gathered in the church to bring the nations in. Now, we are the nations. If there are any Jewish people amongst us. But we, we are the fulfilment of Isaiah 2 as we gather together, as we put aside our differences, engineers versus arts, <laughs> such things. We put aside our differences and we live peaceably together. And we show out the ways of God to the rest of the world as they come and join us. And also, the nations, sorry, the word will go out from us to the rest of the peoples, which we've seen in the book of Acts, have we not? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus sends his disciples out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth, and it doesn't stop. It keeps going, it keeps going, and keeps going, and it reaches Wollongong, and places like that. Anywhere can receive the word of God, no matter how far away we are geographically. The hope and expectations of the nations to live peaceably together are caught up in Christ and his church. Groups of people seeking to walk in the ways of the Lord, being taught by his word. Friends, that's an amazing vision. And a big call for us to live out. I hope you feel the weight of that. 
But first of all, there's a reality check for Jerusalem. Look down there. Verse 5. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Verse 6. There's a problem. For you, God, have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the Philistines. And they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. They are meant to be the people who walk in the ways of God. The people of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, God's people. They are meant to be the ones who display to the rest of the world what it is to live under God's law. They're meant to be filled with God's word, but what are they? They are filled with things from the east. It's not talking about China here. Uh, well, it is east, but it's the thing of the east of that time, the, the exotic things that, are, that have come in. Isaiah is living in a time when Judah has great wealth. Uh, it's a very prosperous time in that nation. And so silver and gold fill the land. Idols fill the land. Horses and chariots fill the land. And many of these things are not bad. There's nothing wrong with silver and gold. They're created by God. Nothing wrong with horses. They're made by God. Because there's nothing wrong with chariots either. They're not evil. Certainly idols are a problem. The problem is they're full of it. The land is filled. And it describes what fills their lives. They're, it's not the land, it's the people are filled with things from the east. How can God's people be an example of walking in the teaching of God, filled with the teaching of God, when they're filled with the things of the world, the things of the east, when they're walking in the way of the world? They're following the same way. How can they be any different? of an example. And it comes to us too. At uni, you might think, I don't have much silver or gold. Uh, being filled with silver or gold is not a problem with, for me, and uh, I don't own a horse. <laughs> and my chariot is not very impressive. Uh, but. Are you filling your lives with things that are just basically heading in that direction? The gaining of silver and gold of chariots and things, which become idols. What are the voices that push you along that path? You may not be trying to head along that path, but what voices are pushing you along that path? Are your lecturers? who will tell you, some will, that if you want to do well in this course, you're going to have to fill your timetable with study for this course. Your course coordinators who say, this career is very competitive. You need to fill your life with getting ahead in this 
area of study if you're going to get a job and be competitive in the workplace. Your th thesis supervisor, your, your course managers who maintain your marks, how are you going to maintain your dean's scholar status? Is it distinction average? I don't know. It's a, something beyond me that I ever could have attained. <laughs> to get that and maintain it and the work, you're going to need to fill your life with this course. Now some of you are really feeling it at the moment, this time of semester. It's week 10, it's not quite D-Day yet, but you're probably feeling like, some of you will be feeling like, I'm behind. And I do need to fill my days with study to be able to catch up and actually get a P, let alone anything else. <laughs> and you do need to do that. You do need to work hard at your study. If you need to catch up, you need to learn not to fall behind next time. Look at ways of doing that. You do need to work hard at your study. But you don't aim to fill your life with it. The patterns that you put in place now for what you fill your life with are not going to change. They only ever increase because they're following a path. No one will ever say to you in your life, unless they're very kind to you, you're filling your life with too many pursuits that are going along the way of the world. Very few people will say that to you. You set the patterns now for what will look like. It's only been going to be your bosses and your supervisors who are going to keep pushing you to fill your life with work. So which voices are you listening to? Is it a danger that you're giving yourself to idolatry or making your study an idol? There is a difference between having silver and gold, having precious things, uh, getting good marks because you get good marks, and chasing silver and gold, and chasing after good marks, and chasing after, and pursuing, and seeking to excel in everything. There's the danger, because they become, the pursuit of the things becomes our item. They're all good things in themselves, apart from the idolatry. The pursuit of them becomes idolatry. Whatever you answered before, what will you be? That is your pursuit. That is the thing you're pursuing. That's your vision. God's vision is for the nations, the people of the nations, to be brought together in peace, following his, his word, being led by him. How does your vision compare with God's vision? How does God's vision fit into your vision? Which is actually the wrong way around. This is what God is doing in the world, and it's a grand thing that anyone in the world would want to see brought about. Then how are the bits and pieces and the choices that you've got fit in and around what God is doing? And pursuing that 
friends, what do we do? What's the way forward? Well, it's at the very end of this chapter. Verse 22. The way forward? Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for what account is he? Stop regarding man. All the voices that speak into your life, the choices that you make, whether it's your course coordinator, your lecturer, your boss, your parents, your peers, stop fearing what they will say, what they say, what they will think of you if you make choices such that you don't do as well as what you're doing at the moment. Stop fearing what they say. Fear the Lord and listen to Him. Capturing all of Isaiah in a snapshot, how can this Jerusalem become that Jerusalem? How can this Jerusalem full of things of the world become that Jerusalem that actually is showing the world to live peaceably together? Friends, stop regarding me and regard the word of the Lord. Let me pray that we might do that. Lord, thank you for showing us a grand vision that you have for this world, for the peace of the nations. Thank you for allowing us to be included in this, in Christ. Please show us how to walk in the ways of the Lord, to be models to the nation, uh, nations around us. Teach us and lead us to stop regarding man and to regard you.